A lot of people got upset we're not having church tomorrow because of some doctrinal position that it, it's, there was no doctrinal position. This is, a, this, is a, this is a cultural practice. Christmas is interesting. Christmas, actually, the, really, if you want to look at the, the first celebration of Christ's birth by the church, the first festival, I could say, was actually celebrated in 98 A.D. at the end of the first century. And and it wasn't practiced again for some 40 more years. And they didn't necessarily practice it on December 25th. And, but uh, by the time of <clears throat> when the 5th century took place, the church adopted this particular festival of celebrating the birth of Jesus. And uh, they did it on December 25th. And the reason why they did it on December 25th is because in, in 274 AD, I'll give you a little bit more trivia here, there was a Roman emperor who really wanted to celebrate the unconquerable son. Now, not son, S-O-N, but son, S-U-N. And the sun that shines in the sky that we so worship here in the Northwest when it comes out because we rarely see it. <laughs> and he wanted to celebrate the son's birthday, S-U-N. And, uh, and so he celebrated as the sun, in his estimation, reached its southern lowest point. And uh, it was beginning its travel back northwards, and as we know, it's what's called winter solstice. And he, and he named that the, the sun's birthday. And so Romans actually s celebrated it by putting candles in their windows and uh, evergreen boughs. And, uh, and that's where you got the, the trees and the boughs and the wreaths and, and the candles and the lights. And you say, well, I thought the tree represented the cross of Jesus and the Christmas lights the light of the world. Not, not, no, it didn't happen. <laughs> that, that didn't happen. You know, if you, you know, the, the, the pilgrims actually in Plymouth in 1620, they celebrated Christmas by building their first house in the, in the middle of the harshest winter that they've ever experienced and trying to survive and to live. They actually didn't believe in this, practicing this Christian festival, but it became part of culture. Williamsburg, 17th century Williamsburg, which was the center of the colony of Virginia, they, they celebrated Christmas, that, but they only brought English traditions over at that time. They didn't celebrate it with Christmas trees. That was a German, that was a German culture. They, they didn't celebrate with Santa Claus. That was a Dutch cultural custom. They didn't celebrate it with stockings on the chimney, by the way. That's an American Christmas custom. But they did celebrate with candles in their window and their green leaves and the green branches of evergreen trees. And where did they get that from? Well, they got it from the Romans. And so I would say, well, where do you find this in the Bible? Well, you don't. But the church has adopted as we stop this season just to focus on who Jesus is. It's a, it's a, it's a great tradition. But they did, they did celebrate there in Williamsburg. They, they celebrated it with with candles and with green boughs, and they also celebrated it with great feasting of food, and they celebrated with fireworks and musicals and cannons. And so there, they had traditions even way back in early American history. There was a letter written to the Milwaukee Journal, and uh, this particular person was kind of like a Dear Abby, but it was a Dear George or whatever this, 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 this columnist name was, and, and he was, he, he had, the guy wrote the, the Milwaukee Journal, and he, and he gave himself the name the sentimentalist. He said, I'm very sentimental about Christmas, very sentimental about Christmas, and, and this year, being a sentimental person honoring the historic roots of Christmas, I wanted, I bought myself an aluminum tree. 
but I can't find any tinsel to, to put on my aluminum tree. And do you have any recommendations what I can do where I can find tinsel? And they wrote back, they said, no, we, we, uh, we don't know where you can buy tinsel, but you could take, you know, reefs, the branches off of evergreen branch reefs, and you could paint them silver and kind of lay them on the floor if you wanted to have that effect around your tree like falling branches. And he says, well, no, thank you. I want the real thing. <laughs> the real thing. You know, we're all looking for the real thing. You know, whether you see God as, as I do, as it doesn't really matter. You could be looking for the real thing as much as I'm looking for the real thing. Maybe you... You don't see scriptures the way that I see scriptures as the authoritative word of God. But that doesn't mean that you don't want the real thing as much as I want the real thing. You're looking for the real thing. I'm looking for the real thing. You know, I don't, I don't get angry at people who, who differ with me about my view of, of the existence of God or my view of Jesus being divine my view of Jesus coming into life as a man through a virgin birth, or my, my view that the historical account of, of, the, of the gospel narrative is accurate. You may not agree with me. I don't get angry with that because I know that, that you're still trying to find the real thing as much as I'm trying to find the real thing. I do get burdened, and I do ask myself, how can I give people the real Jesus? That's a cry of my heart. That's something that nags me over and over and over again. I think it drives me in everything that I do as the pastor of this church. How can I make Jesus real? Not the historical Jesus. Not even the Jesus that I might debate with you and argue about his existence and maybe win the debate because I can out-debate you. But the fact that you, where can I create an atmosphere by which you can encounter the living Jesus? The Bible says he's here even tonight by his Holy Spirit as we gather together in his name. You know, he hunted me down when I was about 20 years of age. Everywhere I went when I was in college, from Los Angeles to Ellensburg, Washington, I kept running into someone and kept wanting to tell me about this person named Jesus, about having a relationship with him. And I kept resisting them, and I kept running. And then I had an encounter with God that I didn't really, I, actually I recognized that I was having an encounter with God, although I really couldn't package it at the time. But he, he brought two situations I don't want to get into in detail that brought severe warning to me that if I didn't really change and, and turn to him, as the one who died for my sins and, and submitted to him as the one I was going to follow the rest of my life, that the things that he warned me about were going to come to pass in my life. I could tell that story another time. And I surrendered to him on March 12, 1976. I know the very night, I, I know the very place that I did that. And when I did, I encountered not only the living Jesus, but he came by the power of his presence, the, the Holy Spirit you can't see, but he, he is here. And I had a great encounter with the Holy Spirit who transformed me. And I know that, that over the years, I've, I've had many encounters with the reality of a living Jesus. And 
using me in, in so many different ways and using people that I know in so many different ways that there's no human explanation for it. Gifts, what the Bible calls gifts of the Holy Spirit, miracles that I've witnessed and miracles that I've been, I've been a part of as maybe the one who prayed or the one who prayed for somebody or the one who maybe ministered a insight I might have had about their life and it was humanly impossible to know. We've seen miracle healings in this church, and I've watched so many people delivered from so many physical maladies and Amen. so many infirmities. But the greatest thing that I've seen is this evidence. Is seen, I've had the great, the great privilege of observing and witnessing Jesus changing thousands of people. And if you're here tonight and you're one of those people that Jesus has miraculously, miraculously transformed in your life, could you just shout an amen at me? So I've gotten, I've gotten to witness those people who were once here but are now here. As the old great hymn written by John Newton says, I was blind but now I, what? I see. You see, the, the real thing about Christmas is that Jesus was born. He lived a life like, like no other man. No one loved like Jesus loved. No one did the miracles that Jesus did. No one in the Bible, no one in human history can even compare to what Jesus did in demonstrating the miraculous because he just wasn't a normal man. He was the God-man. He was the Son of God. It's Jesus is the meaning, the real thing of Christmas, the Jesus who went to a cross so that my sins and your sins could be punished and therefore a whole relationship opens us up to God that we can be accepted by our faith in him and not by what we've done or not done. It's Jesus who demonstrated that he was God by rising from the dead. You're saying, well, Bob, this isn't Easter. This is, you know, this is the eight and a half pound baby Jesus we're talking about. You can't, you can't really get into the real thing about Christmas until you get into the whole package. But the real thing about Jesus, not only did he rise again from the dead, but he's coming again. This time he's not coming as a baby. He's coming on a great white horse with the voice of an angel, the archangel, and the great shout of God. He's not coming in a manger. He's coming as a king. But this is all packaged in what this thing called Christmas really means, that God became man. My verse to read to you this Christmas is Isaiah 9, verse 6, and I'm going to read it out of the, of the English Standard Version. We're not going to have it on the board. Just, I just want you to listen with your ears and, Lord willing, listen with your heart this particular verse. Some of you who don't know the Bible may recognize this out of the Handel's Messiah, if, as it's one of the parts, one of the verses, a part of Handel's Messiah. And it says, For to us a child is born. To us... A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with two things, with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, Isaiah tells us a few things. One, a son's been given to us, not a servant, not a normal man, but the son of God. And it's given to us as a gift. It's a gracious act of God that I'm going to give to the world. I'm going to give to everyone who walks on the face of the earth, whether they're a terrorist, whether they're a prostitute, whether they're a criminal, whether they are, you know, just ripping people off in some type of, you know, Ponzi scheme. I, it doesn't matter what they are. I'm giving mankind a gift, my son. And he's going to be called four things. Now, some of you are used to maybe hearing he's called wonderful, comma, counselor, comma. But in the Hebrew language, all names usually are made of compound words. So it makes sense consistently with the Hebrew language that there are four names that he's going to be called. One is he's going to be called wonderful counselor. Now, when the, when the, when the Hebrew says wonderful, it's the, the Hebrew word pele, and it actually means miraculous. Jesus came doing miracles, and he still does miracles today. Can I hear an amen? amen. But he's not just going to be miraculous. He's going to be the one who's going to give us ultimate guidance. Jesus had wisdom that surpasses anyone's wisdom that's ever walked the face of the earth because it was wisdom that did not come from this world. It was wisdom that came from heaven. This is why the Bible is superior in its wisdom. That's why the Bible says that wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all you're getting. Get understanding. Because he is a wonderful counselor and guide. Yes. If I can say anything about walking with Jesus, and I've walked with Jesus now over 40 years, is that his guidance has never failed me. His promises, if I would do certain things, have all come to pass in my life. And everybody else I know that made a commitment to his word and to his wisdom. He's called mighty God. He would not just be human, but he would be divine. He is God. The only other place where the Old Testament promises that God's going to give us a son is out of the same book of the Bible in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Where it says, a virgin shall conceive and have a child and his name, or have a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, this son is going to be called Mighty God. Speaking of the same promise for the same person, Jesus wasn't a normal man. John, when he wrote his narrative of the gospel, he said these words, and we beheld we witnessed his glory, the only glory of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We've witnessed God himself. We've seen God himself in the person of Jesus. He's going to be called everlasting Father. Now, Father was not a term that Jews were familiar with in this time in their history. God was the one who was Yahweh, he was the one who was the I am. He's the one who burned in the burning bush. He was the one who spoke in the cloud of thunder. He was, he was the one that shook Mount Sinai. But now we're using a word father. Jesus says, when you pray, pray this, this way, our father who is in heaven. Father means that he comes with care. Father's care, father's nurture, father's love, father's protect. Some of you are here, you've experienced great injustice in your life. But Jesus comes to be the eternal, caring Father. 
This does not take away the relationship he has with his heavenly father, but the, it's the aspect that he comes with paternal care, both for me and for you and all of us. We have not only just a king that we serve, a Lord that we submit to, but one that cares and loves us as a father. And he's the eternal father. He does it now, and he's going to do it for all eternity. And he's the prince of peace. Now, when the Hebrew speaks of peace, it speaks of health. It speaks of prosperity. It speaks from deliverance from evil. It speaks of progress. He's the one that delivers us. He's the one that gives us purpose. He's the one that gives us wholeness because he's the prince of peace. And then, of course, Isaiah says, his kingdom of love will have no end. Now, it'll have no end now. It's spreading now. I know we live in a troublesome world. We're, we're all grieved about the, the, the whole bus being driven through the Berlin market and more lives lost to terrorism. We, we know that we have threats of nuclear weapons and mass buildup of things. I know that we have a fear of where our nation's going, where other nations going, what's happening to the world that we live in. But Jesus, when he taught on the kingdom of God, the one thing he taught on is that until he came, again, the kingdom of God in its present state wouldn't be perfect. It would have some mixture in it. But he also said the influence of his kingdom would increase. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. And he's going to sit on the throne of David, which was an Old Testament promise, and he would rule with justice and righteousness. I want to say this, Jesus will do you no wrong. Amen. I became a follower of Jesus because I came to the conclusion he was the only one that never betrayed me. He will do you no wrong. And then he ends this verse by saying, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now this is, if we're looking for the real thing, it's not going to be in an aluminum tree. It's not going to be in tinsel. It's not going to be in my evergreen Christmas tree that Sue made me go out and saw and carry out of the woods. As she does every year. The real thing is Jesus. Who really did become a man who was God. Who really did live on this earth as a man. Who really did the miracles that we read about in the New Testament. And he's still doing them today. Craig Keener, New Testament scholar, says in his research he could have substantiate over 200 million healings that Jesus has done in our modern time, globally. He's still shaking nations, driving dictators nuts, building underground churches, bringing thousands and millions of people to him around the world. I had the great honor in September of being in Cambodia, and I, I got to witness hundreds of young people, probably age 15 to 25 in that category, hundreds of them presenting themselves to start churches who are the grandchildren of all those who are wiped out by the Khmer Rouge. God will always have the last laugh. When they burned John Hus at the stake at the Council of Constance at 1215, he looked at the church that was full of mixture at the time. He says, you know what? You may 
You may kill the goose, which is his name, but God is going to raise up a singing swan. In his voice, you will not stop. 150 years later, there was an agitated Augustinian monk from Germany named Martin Luther who said, you know what? The Bible is the final authority on all matters of living. And he was that swinging swan, singing swan. God will build his church. Voltaire, the atheist, said Christianity would be extinct 50 years after his death. 100 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society used his house to print Bibles. <laughs> of his kingdom, there will be no end. So on this Christmas, I want to encourage you to give yourself to the one who really does care for you, Amen. who is the eternal father. I want you to put your faith not in man, but in the one who is a miracle counselor, who will do miracles in your life. I want you to put your faith not in a man, but in the God-man, Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But on the throne of heaven today, we have the God-man ruling the universe, and he's coming again, and he wants to have a relationship with you. We're here every Sunday. You come back next Sunday, the following Sunday, we're here. We want to help you in that relationship if you want to get started tonight. And so tonight, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, you will become the real thing in all of our lives. You'll be the reality of the one who came amongst us, lived amongst us, the one who died for us, the one who rose again from the dead, the one who is a loving, loving king who's bringing your kingdom to pass. And one day we'll establish it all together at your second coming. We want to be a part of that company. We want to be some people who relate to you in that capacity. Search every heart here that's searching for the real thing. And Jesus, I pray you become the real thing to them on this Christmas. Amen.